Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to welcome everyone listening to us on the King's Cast. And if you've downloaded this from King's Church or iTunes, or if you've downloaded this from uh, churchpodcast.co.uk, welcome. I want to begin something that I certainly won't finish today and will probably finish in a couple of weeks from now. Something very sensitive, something very difficult about the theme of suffering. The theme of suffering. At just to try to investigate the answer to this question, is there, can we find in the Bible the answer to the question, why, oh why, is there so much pain in the world, among the nations of the world, in this community, in my heart? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And as people who believe in God, to answer this difficult question, why does God Allow this to go on. If you were God and you had all the power of God, the Almighty, surely you would stop the suffering in the world. Surely you would do that. So why hasn't God done that? Why isn't he doing that? Because if you are an evangelist, and you, and you ought to be, you will know that that's often what people say. How can there be a God when the world is full of suffering, and pain, and misery. And when people say that, they say it on two levels. One time, I was watching TV, when I was just like 20 years old, living with my father, mother, and we were watching the news. And you know, don't you, that the news nearly always ought to be renamed bad news. Right? And I don't even remember what it was. But something terrible had happened. And the reason why I don't remember what it was is because, as you know, something terrible always happens. And we're watching it, and it was awful. And my dad turned at me, and he won't even remember that he said this now, but he sure did, I I remember. 
He turned at me and he said, and you say there's a God. That's what he said to me. You say there's a God. A few days ago, a whole lot of families were all excited going out to see Batman in Colorado. And a crazy guy came in, thought he was the Joker, and he shot a whole load of them. That's just the latest story, isn't it? But in two weeks' time, when I finish this message, there'll be something else, won't there? Sadly, there most likely will be. Why or why does God allow it? And I said we ask that question on two levels. The first level is the level that my dad did it, where he looks at the TV, he looks at some terrorism, some murder, some dreadful thing, and he says it. But there's another level where people say it. They're saying it because they themselves are suffering. When people say, how can there be a God when there's so much suffering in the world? Some, for some people, what they really mean is, how can there be a God when I'm suffering so much in this world? And suffering is comparative, of course. It rather appalled me that the news media moved so quickly from the terrible event of Colorado to the terrible event that we didn't do very well in the cycling yesterday. As though that's the same thing. And it's not, is it? So I want to take some time with you and I think the Holy Spirit will help us just to talk about this because it's something that can easily be just put away and it's like a little thing we don't want to talk about too much because we haven't got any answers or because it's too painful or something like that. So let's just get a bit pained and let's just think about this topic. Suffering is Global, local, personal. Is that right? Global, local, and personal. It's global. There is a war going on all the time. Somewhere. All the time, there is a famine somewhere. I don't know if it's all the time, but regularly there are earthquakes going on that are life-threatening around the world. Poverty, famine, disasters, war, crime. These things are going on all the time, globally. Some of them make the news, but as many of you who come from other nations know, many of them don't make the news. Some of them make the newspapers for as long as those newspapers will sell. After those stories are no longer selling in the paper, they drop the story, but the suffering goes on all the time. It's global, it's local. 
It's local. Just down the bottom of the road, an hour or two ago, looks like someone got knocked down on Parker's piece, on the little piece by Zion Baptist Church, Mill Road, ambulances, police in attendance. Flick on even the, the local news. I remember in the southwest where I was from, it moved from the 6 o'clock news to the local news. You know that bit where it changes? And it moved from major international crisis to cat, stuck up tree, firemen don't know what to do. You know, the tone just shifted so much. But now what happens? The tone doesn't shift so much. Now, it's not just a murder in London, but there's a murder in Bedford now. Now, there's not just a rape that's gone on in, you know, London or Manchester or Birmingham. Now it's happened in King's Hedges now. So these things, you know, become local. And it's also personal. Because in this room today, and everyone listening to me on the net, some are going through just the ordinary pains of life, what I call the elastic band, going out, coming in. I'm feeling good today. I'm not feeling so good now. I'm feeling a bit better. No, now I don't feel so good. And other people, so some are like that, just the ordinary things we struggle with each day. But there are other people in this room, your elastic band has stretched and it don't feel like it's going in anytime soon. Whatever that might be, in your body, in your marriage, in your relationship with your mum, in your relationship at work, in your relationship with your medical health or your mental health or your emotional well-being, the elastic band is being stretched and it hasn't for a while gone back to normal just yet. And here's the other thing I put on the screen behind us that I think is so difficult about suffering because for many people it seems to be entirely random. Random. It's, uh, it seems unfair and random. Random in its choice and random in its intensity. The worst guy in your street, he's got all the money and the car. He's just been promoted and it's great. Next door to him is a little old lady who's been helping people for years and she's just been diagnosed with leukemia. It just seems like it's random, both in its selection and, it's in, and in its intensity as well. If you weren't a person of faith, you would say this, it just seems to be the luck of the draw. I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Is this really how God works? Now here's what the, here's the burning question that people ask on the street, what the skeptic asks. And sometimes even you'll ask this question. But you don't ask it in a sense of being a apostate from your faith. But you just ask this question, especially when the suffering comes in in your family, in your door, on your mat, 
How can God be almighty and all-loving? Uh, this is a, a philosophical discussion, but I've just broken it down to that simple question. If God is almighty, that means he can do anything he wants. Why doesn't he stop these things happening? And if God is all-loving, like the Bible says he is, why doesn't he use his power to stop these things occurring? This is the, this is the question that we, that we face. So then you're left with, uh, if you were a skeptic, you are left to answer this question thus. Either he is not almighty, he cannot stop things, or he is not all-loving, he has a nasty streak about him. Now, as Christians, we know that neither of those things are true. God is almighty, and he is all-benevolent. So why, coming back to the question, why then does he allow you and me, why does he allow people in Colorado to be killed by by a madman? Why does he allow a group of miners to be buried and killed? Why does he allow the best hard-working mama in your street to come back from her appointment with a consultant to find out that she has got maybe so many months now to live? What's fair? What's right about this? What's going on now? Uh, the Bible doesn't answer this question. It has what I've called here insights. There are some insights. But right at the beginning of, even before we even begin to answer any of this, let me give you the real answer. The real answer to why does God allow this is this. We don't know. That's the real answer. So anything we're going to discuss from now on is just a bit of, it's just a glimpse. It's an insight, that's all. It's a bit of understanding, but let me assure you that anything we're going to say today and in a couple of weeks' time is not going to answer the big burning question because there isn't really a big burning answer to such a big burning question. When someone asks you in the street, well, if there's really a God, why does he allow this? Your best answer should be, well, I don't know. If they push you, you can perhaps give them some extra stuff that we're going to talk about now. But the best answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Because you don't know. And all of the philosophical answers in the world don't comfort people anyway. When they, what they really need is an arm around their shoulder and you to go and do some shopping for them. Can you say amen? That's what, that's what people really need, isn't it? They want some big answer. They want you to help them. But let's look at some insights. Number one, human freedom. Human freedom. 
people are running the world. God made the world. God is uh, Lord over the world. But he has put people in charge of the world. And people aren't very good. So the first, just, just, it's just an insight, just a bit of an understanding. Why is there so much suffering? Because people are running the world. Some of you work for organizations or companies or, you know, in your workplace. You would be a whole lot happier if someone else was your line manager. You'd be a whole lot happier if there was a change of management. You, or at least you think you would be. Maybe you wouldn't be. Who is in charge really affects how life runs. People are running the world. And because people are running the world rather than God, then uh, the world is not being run very well. I want you to take your Bible in your hand. I'm going to just show you something. Just, it's, just, it's a very simple thing. I want you to take your thumb in your Bible, and if you're listening online, please do this as well. I just want you to put your thumb in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to, I just want you to put your finger on that chapter. That's all. I want you to put your finger on the last verse of Genesis chapter 2. The very last verse. What verse is it? What number? Someone tell me. I need to have a look. The last verse, 25. Everything before that, there was no suffering. Chapter 1 and chapter 2, there is no suffering. Nobody cries. No one gets ill. There's no earthquake. There's no famine. There's not even any depression. Everyone's happy. Why is that? Because God is in control. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent. Oh dear. But in the first two chapters of the Bible, no one sheds a tear. No one breaks a bone. No one, more importantly, has their heart broken because God is in control. There is no, there, there aren't people running the world. God's running the world. And we could do a similar thing. You can do it if you want to do it, if it helps you. You could go to the other end of the Bible and go to Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 is uh, the end of the Bible. And at the end of the Bible, Jesus has come again, and now he is in charge. Once again, it's not people running the world. He is now running the world. And what does the Bible say when he runs the world? It says this, there will be no more suffering, no more death, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
etc. There will be no more pain. So just, it's a very simple thing. But when God is in charge, there is no pain. There are no disasters. There are no tragedies. There's no heartbreak. There's no sadness. When God is in charge. Here's a problem though. We don't live in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. We don't live in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. That's not where we're living. We are living in the other part of the Bible. The part where, to use the uh, off-joked expression, the mad people are running the asylum. We're living in an era where God is not uh, respected, where God is, God's ways are not adhered to. So here we are in this rather unpleasant place. There's no suffering in the first and last chapters of the Bible. And the problem is this, that God has given to everyone who lives a special gift called free will. You can do what you want. Can't you? You can do what you want. If you have the money, the inclination, the persuasion, the time, you can do what you want to do. But what you want to do is likely at times to hurt you and hurt other people as well. For as long as you are not a robot, for as long as you are, are not you know, controlled by God like a, like a machine, you have the capacity to hurt people and to be hurt yourself. You have that capacity. Now anything else isn't really love. God could make people love him with some sort of supernatural download. But it's not really love unless it's given freely. So free will is, is vital to the human race. There's a, uh, a passage in Galatians chapter 5. Will you turn to that? Let's read something from the word of God. Galatians chapter 5. Now, God gives free will. You can behave as you wish to behave. You might get arrested, ostracized, imprisoned. In some countries, you might get executed, but generally speaking, you can behave as you want to behave. And some people use their free will to help others. Some people work tirelessly to relieve the suffering in the world. Some people who aren't Christians still have a tremendous God-given conscience and they help people. And by the way, we should cheer them on. But at the core, the Bible says, of every person is actually selfishness. And everyone in the world does things that are wrong. So one of the answers to the question, now listen to this really carefully, one of the answers to the question is this, why doesn't God get rid of all the evil in the world? Here's the answer, what would he do with you then? 
If you really want God to get rid of all the evil in the world, your curtains, that's an English expression, meaning you're, you're finished. In case everyone's going, curtains? If God gets rid of evil, you are on his list. And so am I. Can you say amen? He said more amen to that, didn't you, that bit? (laughs) Do you really want God to get rid of all evil? Are you sure you do? Because if that's what God does, you're finished. It's goodbye to you. Even if you're Mother Teresa, it's goodbye to you. It's goodbye to you. That's why God doesn't do it. Because if God got rid of all the evil in the world, he would have to get rid of everyone in the world. Galatians chapter 5 tells us about human nature. Now there are loads of verses about human nature in the Bible. I just, for the sake of time, just choosing this. But you know we could go all over the book of Romans and all over the Psalms and pick out all sorts of verses for an hour that don't describe God, they describe humans, people like you and me. He says this, the Apostle Paul, in verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature or the flesh are obvious, Galatians 5, 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, but because they're not obvious enough, he's going to tell us what they are. Just in case... We are so corrupt in our conscience that we think that being evil is really being good. Because many people are capable of that. Many people who do evil things believe they're doing good. Is that right? Many people who do evil things believe that they are doing in some corrupt way that they think about the world good. Like that madman who went onto that island and killed all those kids. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, but they're not that obvious because we might have reprogrammed our mind. Listen to me. We might have reprogrammed our brain to think that it's okay for me to do this because I'm doing it out of a good reason. And here they are. Number one. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Well, before we get on to witchcraft and idolatry, what about sexual immorality? How many people commit adultery as an act of sin and how many commit adultery because they are in love? Well, I just want to be happy. I know Tom is married to someone else, but I, I want him to be with me. And so what happens is hearts are broken. Both partners are broken. The children get broken. And people say this, why has God allowed this suffering? It's not God. It's someone who thinks they're in love. They reprogrammed their conscience so badly that they thought they could do anything they wanted to do 
and it just hurts people. Sexual immorality hurts people. I wonder, I have no idea, but I wonder, just in Cambridge, never mind anywhere else in this country, just in Cambridge, how many kids there are, 18, 19 years old. Girls with kiddies, where's dad? Nowhere. What's dad's name? I couldn't be sure. Right? I couldn't be sure. Who's done this? God? No. No, God has not done that. It's not God who's done that. But it has happened. And we're not going to sit on the judging panel of it. What's God's word to us as a local church? Let's go and help these poor kids. That's, that's the word of the Lord. So the, the works of, of human beings' minds are obvious. A whole load of, first of all, he lists all these sexual crimes. And then the idolatry and the witchcraft. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. You might be living with someone right now who gets angry all the time. It's not God doing that. They are doing that. Your father might have fits of rage. Your mother. Your brother. But it's because because they have free will to do it. And God is mercy. He hasn't killed them off. He's not taken them away from the earth. He's left them because of his mercy. Waiting for them to come back in exactly the same way that you parents know all about. Waiting for your kids to come back when they go do something stupid. It's the same thing. It's the same heart. It's the same parental thing going on with God as it is with many of you. Are you happy with the way everything, the stuff that your kids have done? Especially when they're a bit older, or maybe when they're not so older. The answer is no, I'm not so happy. Do you want to go out and shoot them? No, you don't do that. Why? Because your love for them is unconditional. You're waiting for them to choose a better way. Fits of rage. Discord, jealousy. How much pain do you think has been caused by jealousy? Either by someone being jealous of you or you being jealous of someone else. And this is the heart of this problem of human freedom. The reason why we're in pain and suffering so much of the time, and by the way, John Stott in his book says that he believed this was 95% of all suffering in the world. It's not the whole answer, because there's still earthquakes and famines and things. But, but there is, John Stott believed 95% of the pain in humanity was because of inhumanity. People getting in arguments, breaking up, fighting with one another, wanting their way, selfishness ruling, jealousy, rage, discord, fights, scraps. People power. 
God, why have you let this happen? God has given free will. Factions, dissensions, selfish ambitions, envy, drunkenness. The guy that jumps into his car, drunk too much, and kills some kid on the street. And we spend the rest of our lives putting our lives back together. Because someone thought it was a good idea to drink too much and then drive. Is this God? God's judgment at work? No. It's very poor judgment at work on the part of the driver. What's our response? As the people of God, what's our response? To stand here snarling at drunk drivers? Not really. But to go and put our arms around people for whom this is the most painful thing to hear of all. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And the like. So we suffer because of the things we do. And we suffer because of the things that others do. Let me just do another one before we're done today. Number two. Very quickly, the world is broken. The Bible says this. That the creation of this planet, nature if you like, but I, I don't often like the word nature because I think it suggests something other than God. God made nature. The natural world. The Bible says that the, that the planet Earth is, and it uses the word frustrated. In Romans 8 verse 20. Frustrated the natural world. We learned that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God, suddenly the ground was cursed. Genesis 3 and 17 and 18. And you, can, you can read this there. Cursed. Now it was going to be more difficult. Everything was going to become more difficult. The, the disobedience of people had somehow got into the planet. And God had pronounced a kind of a curse over the natural order of things. Today, the earth in certain parts of the world shakes with quakes. Today, there are floods. Occasionally, we have to be a little bit careful when we talk about famine being the result of a broken natural world because I suspect if a group of politicians sat down around a table, we could feed everyone in the world. But mankind has chosen not to do that. I suspect if a group of politicians sat around a table, we could take medical aid to everyone in the world. But mankind in its wisdom has decided not to do that. 
But the world is broken. The world is broken. While God can perform acts of judgment, God can, if he so wishes, sort of step into the world and bring judgment. For example, the flood of Noah. Amen. Sodom and Gomorrah. Naaman and his leprosy. You know, different Ananias and Sapphira pretended they were giving an offering and they were slain in the spirit with no one to catch them. God can bring judgment. But here's a piece of the Bible that you maybe have never looked at before and it'll be worth you looking at it before you go home today. Just go to Luke 13 and verses 1 to 5. Here are some verses that are not underlined in your Bible. Here are some verses that are not on a poster. They're not on your Facebook page. But they are vital to you to understand what God thinks about suffering. And you should underline them. And you should know these verses. Because And this is what I want to tell you today. Maybe I want you to hear this above anything else, just as we finish. The Bible recognizes, listen, listen. The Bible recognizes, Jesus himself recognizes, that there is such a thing as unjust suffering. People who suffer who shouldn't be suffering. Just have a look at this. Luke 13 Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. People who had been killed by Pilate. Look at this. I wish someone had shown me this verse 20 years ago. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Verse 4, Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Jesus says there's a whole group of people, they were killed here recently, he says. Pilate mixed their blood with his sack. In other words, he killed them. This area here, Pilate killed a group of Galileans. And he says to the crowd, do you think they were worse than, than any of you? In other words, do you think they deserved it? He says, no, no, they didn't. Or he said, do you remember the tower of Siloam that fell and killed all those people? Shall we contextualize it? Do you remember 9-11 in New York when the tower fell and killed all those people. Do you think that those people in that tower, all those people in 7-7 in the London tube, do you think 
that they were worse people because they died? He said, I tell you, the answer is no. I tell you, the answer is no. I wish someone had told me that 20 years ago. I have a deep regret for every Christian who has not heard what I just said. The power of that truth should permeate your thinking and permeate your family and permeate the whole area of suffering and God for you. There is such a thing as unjust suffering. There is such a thing as people who are having a hard time and it's not fair. And the Bible says it. John chapter 9, a man was blind. The disciples said to him, did he sin? Is that why he's blind? Jesus said, no. He's not blind because, he's a, because he sinned. Let's look at one more. 1 Peter 2 and verse 19. And with this I finish today. 1 Peter 2 and verse 19. I wish I'd known this years and years ago. In verse 18, the writer, Peter, he's talking to the slaves. They're having a hard time with their master. They wish they had a different master because he's beating them up. And he says, slaves, verse 18, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh You have to submit yourself to your employer, whether they're a great employer or not a great employer. And look at what he says in verse 19. Again, it won't be underlined in your Bible, but it's such a key verse for life. It says, for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of what? Unjust suffering. Because he is conscious of God. The Apostle Peter says these people are suffering and they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. They are not suffering because they are bad. They are suffering because they are good. There is such a thing. As I am going through a bad time and I haven't done anything to deserve it. Or no no more than anyone else. No more than anyone else has done. So we're going to break. We're going to finish. And we'll come back and take the pause button off this in a couple of weeks' time. But reason number one why people suffer. One, because people run the world. And people run the world badly and selfishly and with their own name in mind. Reason number two, because the world itself is broken. And this leads to people suffering who shouldn't be. The people who went into the Twin Towers on 9-11 were no worse than the people watching it on TV at home.
There were no better. There were no worse. When we finish this, I'm going to give you two more Bible insights into why suffering is in the world. And then we want to conclude with the, perhaps the most important thing of all, how are we to respond to suffering in ourselves and in other people? Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.